uh, not only did we see a lot of superficial comments in profiles, but a lot of people turned us away for being newbies or for being too young. Uh, we were only 21 at the time, and even though we'd already been together for five years, people generally assumed we didn't know what we were doing and we weren't ready for this type of thing. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy. Well, welcome to episode 91. We're getting close to 100. We're Emma and Finn, and today we have an interview with Robert. His story is not an easy one to tell, but we really thank him because it's important to get out there. Yeah, and so something that's a little bit different about this one, uh, because it is not an easy story to tell, and because he'll he'll talk a little bit about this, but there are people involved in his story who he's he's changed names and everybody's using pseudonyms, but they didn't necessarily give consent, and he as, wasn't able to get he consent. wasn't able to get consent from people, um, and so basically what you'll kind of hear is that. This story is a little more scripted. Basically, he's he's sort of written it out to kind of remove, you know, the the potential for saying something that he didn't necessarily mean or adding an emotion that would place blame on somebody that was unintentional. So it is a little more scripted. Uh, but at the same time, we sort of chime in with questions mm-hmm. and get it, it free flows here and there. So we just wanted people to be aware that it's it's not the normal style we usually do. But nevertheless, it is an extremely beneficial and, and powerful story. So I think everybody will really enjoy it. Yes. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. Coming up, first off, a few announcements. Uh, we forgot to mention on the Monday episode with Kathy that she donated a few books to us we will be giving those books away to our patrons so we'll Well, not all of our patrons no well we have three books so we'll be doing a raffle uh in the near future to give those books away if you're interested in that go and check out our patreon page and while you're there you'll find that indeed there are two patreon q a calls tonight nine pacific and nine eastern p.m p.m that's what tonight means yes tonight PM. Yeah. So hopefully we'll see you all there. We're excited about those. We're also excited we have some meet and greets. Yeah, the first one's coming up in on Friday, actually, in Boston. That's going to be October 18th. For information on that and to RSVP, go to our website under the events page. And the next one is October 26th, which is a week from Saturday. That's going to be in Toronto. So also you can check all of the information out on our website as well, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. And, oh, we also received an email from a listener and a few weeks back, and we tried to respond, and the email did not go through. We got a kickback. So if you emailed us about some concerns and you didn't get an email back, we didn't ignore you. We just could not email you. Uh, and I will say, without divulging too much, the email was some variation of the word or phrase Catman do. So if if that's you and you think those assholes just ignored me, 
We didn't. We tried. We actually tried twice. We we took a guess at what you messed up in your email and sent another email, and that one didn't get kicked back. So maybe you got this. Maybe or maybe it went to someone else. Yeah, or maybe it went to somebody else. So if you're listening and you're like, why didn't they respond? We didn't know how. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> That's all of our announcements for today. Oh, nope. Oh, boy. Here we go. SCCheck.com. Yeah, we just wanted to quickly remind everybody that uh, one of our long-time sort of partners that we've been working with is stdcheck.com. We actually just used it like two weeks ago. Uh, we were driving across the country, and before we jumped on the road, we stopped in, got tested, and got on the road, and then literally had our results the next day. Yep, super that was easy. Super awesome. It's an awesome service. We use it. We love it. And if you use it as well, you can save $10 by using the links on our resources page or on our website, and it helps support the show. So we thank you for that. Now let's go talk to Robert. Well, well welcome, Robert. Uh, thank you thank for you. taking some time out of your evening to chat with us. You reached out a few weeks ago uh, because we had some listeners and people write into us saying that they would love to hear some stories about when non-monogamy doesn't necessarily pan out for people and um, that that we always just show the lighter side of it. So. We appreciate you reaching out, and we know the story is going to not be the easiest to tell. So, again, thank you for your time and for reaching out. Well, uh, thank you, uh, guys, for having me here. And I just want to say very quickly, thank you so much for doing what you are doing here and for inviting me to be a part of it. No, we're we're honored to have you. Yes, and it wouldn't have been without you reaching out. So thanks for taking that initiative. Yeah. So I guess anybody who's not familiar with you, which is everybody uh, do you, at the moment, do you mind taking just a, the first couple of minutes to just tell us a little bit about yourself and yeah, what's going on? Yeah. Hi, everybody. Uh, for the purposes of this interview, I will be Robert. And yes, I was reluctant to use a pseudonym, but we'll circle back to that a little later. Uh, so while my name isn't really Robert, I am, in fact, a 36-year-old cis male. In terms of sexual identity, I identify as pansexual. And uh, I'm going to assume that uh, most of your listeners are familiar with a lot of the language and terms that may come up here. But feel free to interrupt me and expand on anything you feel might need some more detail. Uh, for example, uh, pansexual doesn't necessarily mean I'm attracted to flutes or cookware. <laughs> that's a lame jokes that's aside a, that's a good uh, clarification <laughs> haven't heard that one before that's creative <laughs> so uh i have to admit though that I, I am only pansexual in theory uh in practice i am a bisexual uh so while i'm open to having relationships with more than just two genders uh pan relationships haven't quite happened yet um i guess you could say it hasn't panned out uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's the, that's the last that's one. That's the last one? No. Yeah. Leave the, leave the shitty jokes to me, would you? <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. We'll do an excellent yeah. job. Yeah. So I guess to, to, to paraphrase really quickly, uh, so you identify as being attracted to all genders and different types of people, but yeah. in practice, you have not... Um, always practice that that's the, but that's just because it hasn't people haven't come into your life that necessarily fell into um the attraction the attraction yeah yeah you're sure. attracted to. that's that's fair to say yes I've, I've had relationships with both uh people that identify as as male and female um 
but uh, there's a whole broad spectrum of people out there and um, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I'm open to it all. Yeah. No, awesome. that's yeah. wonderful. Okay. So, so back, back to the intro of, of Robert. Yeah. So um, I'm here to talk about uh, some of my experience with alternative relationship styles uh, being in an open relationship and some of the lessons that I've learned during this journey. Uh, I was in a long-term open relationship until fairly recently when after over 18 wonderful years together, everything suddenly came to an end. And so before I go any further, um, I just wanted to take a brief moment to talk about consent. Uh, consent is very important to me and an important part of any relationship, open or not. Um, I am aware that there are people that will be mentioned in this interview that for whatever reason may not have been able to give their consent about being part of this discussion with you today. Uh, it is for this reason that I will not be using actual first names and will be purposely omitting certain details. Uh, yes, I will be talking about some breakups. Uh, I'm not here to air my dirty laundry. It's my sincere hope that listeners will benefit from hearing about my experiences and leverage this information to improve their own experiences. And uh, finally, uh, the details I will be sharing are my recollection of events. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's fair. And thank you for clarifying that because I know in our email exchange, you were um, rightfully so a little bit concerned and that's, that's fair. So thank you for clarifying and very eloquently stating that. So um Everything is from your perspective, and I think that's great. Yeah, thank you. So um, without further ado, um, I will start with uh, with the story and filling in uh, some of the backstory. Um, so I'm going to go back, uh, back to the beginning. My previous partner, let's call her Renee, uh, her and I met in high school. We were each other's first sexual partners. Uh, we moved out on our own together when we were just 16 years old. We were always very sexually exploratory people. We experimented a lot with one another, uh, doing things like watching different types of porn together and playing fun sex games like blindfolding one another and taking random household objects to use sexually on one another while the blindfolded person would have to guess what that object was. <laughs> that's where the, that's where your pansexual came in, correct? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, as long as you aren't inserting all of those fun house, or house, household items, I think that, that, that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> I could just envision like this uh, emergency trip to the ER. That would be good. <laughs> Thankfully, no emergency trips to the ER. And eventually we did decide that we should probably get some proper sex toys. And so we bought some sex toys and then we bought some more sex toys and then a few more until... We had what some people have deemed a rather large collection of toys, including a Sibian that we got for our five-year anniversary. Uh, incidentally, as great as the Sibian is, uh, pro tip, everybody should own a Hitachi Magic Wand. It is a crowd pleaser, pun totally intended. <laughs> it's actually also a pretty great back massager, though you may not use it on your back very often. Yep, I would agree 100% with what you said. And so would Finn. <laughs> I only use it for my back. <laughs> so uh, about five years into our relationship, Renee approached me and suggested that we arrange to invite another woman to join us in bed. 
there was nobody in particular in mind at the time, but she admitted to having curiosities about being with another woman and also wanted to offer me the possibility to experience someone different since we had only ever been with each other. Uh, so I definitely wasn't opposed to her idea, but thought perhaps she might also like to try being with another man. So I suggested we invite another couple into our bedroom. That way we could both enjoy a larger range of new sexual experiences. So we went to the internet and yahooed some websites. <laughs> That's right. Google wasn't quite as popular back then. Um, admittedly, we didn't really know what we were looking for at the time, but we stumbled upon a few swinger websites and started some very sexy online shopping. Now, uh, I know you guys are big on sharing resources with your listeners, and I think that's great. But I'm not going to bother to mention any details about these particular swinger websites from years ago, uh, partly because they're very specific to the region I was living at the time, and partly because most of them were built back in the 90s and <laughs> are either very terrible or don't even exist anymore. Yep. No, that's okay. <laughs> Instead, I will suggest listeners check out some of the apps you've been talking about recently, such as Hashtag Open, which okay. I'm also on, or Polyfinda. Did I get that yeah. pronunciation right? Yeah, that's the correct pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> According to Finn. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we signed up on a few Swinger websites and started chatting with some other couples online. And we quickly found that the Swinger community could be very judgmental. Uh, not only did we see a lot of superficial comments in profiles, but a lot of people turned us away for being newbies or for being too young. Uh, we were only 21 at the time, and even though we'd already been together for five years, people generally assumed we didn't know what we were doing and we weren't ready for this type of thing. Uh, eventually, though, we did find a few couples a little closer to our age range where there was mutual interest. We chatted for a bit more online, and then we arranged to meet with one of the couples in person for a no-expectations drink at a bar. And we figured, worst-case scenario, we'd have a lovely night out and come home together and have some hot sex. Yep. So we Sounds met. fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we met, and, uh, and things went really well. Uh, we hit it off quite quickly, and a few drinks later, they extended us a no-pressure invitation to join them at their place for more drinks and continued conversation. We agreed. I remember feeling uh, that it was very liberating, actually, to be able to speak so openly about everything and anything with them. We all seemed very comfortable together, the four of us, almost like old friends, despite having just met hours ago at a bar. So comfortable, in fact, that we talked well into the wee hours of the morning. Uh, something we would continue to be guilty of in later meetups. Uh, it was getting quite late, and then all of a sudden, I remember the girls were kissing and making out, and it was very exciting. And from there, we all moved into the bedroom, clothes came off, and play commenced. Mm -hmm. We started with our respective partners, taking the opportunity to check in with one another, and eventually started mixing and intertwining, enjoying each other's bodies in many different combinations, and eventually ending with a full swap. Uh, our first experience was great. Afterwards, it was quite late, and we were exhausted, but absolutely elated. And similar to many others, we experienced a feeling of extreme closeness and couldn't wait to get home and fuck. Our sex life was always great, but was supercharged over the next little while as we continually recounted and replayed our first sexy encounter. I have a couple couple questions before you continue. Yeah. Uh, had you 
at this point, had you started to explore your sexuality or was this, were you still at this point identifying as, as straight? I think that um, I've always been relatively open to um, to anything, really. Uh, I think at the time, because of the, the judgmental situation in the community that we were a part of on those older websites, uh, I think, if I recall, I, I was identifying initially as bisexual, and we actually had a number of people, quite unfortunately, message and say, oh, you guys look so cute, but uh, we don't play with bi people. By, or by guys, uh, yeah. which was really, really unfortunate to hear. So um, we were just starting out and we were like, well, maybe this isn't the isn't the platform for, for this kind of thing. So um, sadly, we did have to switch and, and identify myself as straight for a little while um, so that we could meet up with some folks. And, and actually, the folks that we ended up meeting, they were very open uh, to that kind of thing. Um, and although they, they may not actively participate in that, um, they were more than open to it. Okay. Yeah, like comfortable with it. Exactly. And, and that was kind of my, where I was going with that was you mentioned like the judgmental and, you know, we, we faced a lot of that too when we were first getting started because we were only 20 or 21. <laughs> and I, I can only imagine that, you know, exacerbating that by being, identifying as a bi male at that point or anything like that could, could further ostracize y- yourselves. And so, yeah. And uh, my my other question was, mm-hmm. when when Renee asked you to bring in a th- you know another woman, was there, I guess, how did that initial reaction go? Because I think, you know, in one sense, a lot of men would be like, "Hell yeah, why would I even worry about that?" But at the same time, there there could also be some concern that like, is one, is another woman going to lead to other men, and I don't know that I want to do that, even though. You kind of brought that up, I guess. How did those initial conversations go around that? Yeah, they were they went really well, actually. And um, having so many sex toys, we uh, sort of the the idea of them being other people kind of evolved naturally, and the idea of including other people started out probably as as pillow talk or talk during play, and then became a more concrete idea and option on the table and uh, there was never really any any issues around the discussion okay perfect great questions thank you i i love that you had such a good first experience because so many people don't have that so us us included included, but like (laughs) it's just it's it is it is what it is but it it's so helpful when you have a first positive experience because it doesn't um i guess make you think that the whole thing is just a waste of time yeah, we, we were very fortunate to have had such an amazing first time. There was very little negativity or jealousy in that initial encounter. Um, and I did mention the, the sex toy collection in the beginning, and, and that was very much on purpose. Since I, I think in the beginning of opening our relationship, we sort of considered the addition of other people to our sex life a lot like we viewed the addition of the sex toys to a certain degree. We were adding people as something to enhance or complement our existing sex life, not a replacement or a supplement for something that was missing. Yeah. Right. And in the initial stages, it was a a swinging capacity, just a sexual capacity, right? You had not talked about additional relationships at this point. Right. Yeah. We didn't really know what was out there or what we were looking for. And 
um, yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about how we transition from swinging to other things. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so um, first I, I did want to mention quickly um, some uh, some a little bit about comfort and limits um, and, and how we kind of grew uh, away from, from swinging. So after that initial encounter, we had quite a few more encounters. And before we started all this, we had some initial agreements in terms of what we were comfortable with. But largely, we were discovering our preferences and comfort levels as we went along. For instance, one time we met a couple for the first meeting at their home. And although nothing happened, we discovered that we felt more safe and secure meeting in a public space for first encounters. We also tried a few sex clubs and discovered that while they were exciting, we found it very difficult to talk over the loud, thumping club music and get to know people to the level at which we might feel comfortable before engaging with them sexually. And so somewhat unbeknownst to us, um, we were gradually transitioning away from, quote, swingerdom towards a more poly-based model. If I had to pinpoint the catalyst for this, it was around the time we met another couple online. Let's call them Marnie and Michael. Even only through chatting online, we immediately felt we clicked with them very well. We had learned that sexy adventures was new territory for them. And having had such a great first experience ourselves, I think we may have felt a responsibility and more so a desire to be good ambassadors to others. So we arranged to meet for dinner, which we normally wouldn't do because meeting for the first time for a dinner date can be awkward for many reasons. <laughs> yeah. However, a, a drink, a drink is a little less pressure. You can, yeah, you can totally. leave pretty quickly if you less have to. of a commitment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we did just kind of know from all of the chatting online that we would get along or at least get along well enough to make it through a dinner. You know how sometimes you can just tell that you have one of those instant connections with somebody or another couple. Uh, that, yes. was, that, that was the case here. Um, so we met with this couple and, uh, and we did, we hit it off. Uh, everything was really fun, really sexy, and we couldn't get enough. We, we met again. We started spending entire weekends at each other's houses and it soon became very evident that feelings were starting to form. And this model of friends, both in and out of the bedroom, seemed to fit us a little better than the one-night stand thing that most swingers seem to be doing. And it's kind of funny how sometimes patterns emerge. Through meeting with multiple people over the years and even listening to your podcast, you can see a definite pattern in the change in people's behaviors and comfort levels and limits over time. For example, when people start out, they may begin by deciding to be strictly soft swap only, saying something like, well, maybe we'll eventually consider full swap. And generally, that seems to happen sooner than most people expect. Uh, and then it moves on to, well, we're okay with full swap now, but we'll only ever do same room play. And then after that happens, it's usually, well, we'd never consider being in a polyamorous relationship until eventually that too comes to pass. And I'm sure having done as many of these episodes as you have, that you guys are maybe picking up on some of these patterns and maybe even noticing some others about the way people's relationships in non-monogamy evolve. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's uh, obviously not everybody, but I think there are a lot of people who are looking for that, not necessarily the special couple, but that friends with benefits. And I think when people say that, it, it is easy to blur that line into something more. 
And well, and there's there can be blurring too of swinging and polyamory depending on what what you define it for yourself. So it, I agree. There are a lot of times people do follow kind of the stepwise pattern. Yeah. Progression that you laid out. Um, it's pretty normal, I think. <laughs> yeah. And for Renee and I, uh, this is where we found ourselves kind of in this hazy area between swinging and poly. Like with, after you met this, yeah. This with Marnie and Michael. Yeah. We, we hadn't really intended on it, but feelings crept in and suddenly there was this profound level of emotion and connection and love involved. It was at this point that we started doing some research and reading some books like Opening Up by Tristan Terramino, which, by the way, I would recommend everybody read, both monogamous people and otherwise. I really liked that her book was an education on relationship styles and wasn't pushing the non-monogamy agenda too hard, underlining that it's okay if you choose to be monogamous and that nobody should look down on anybody else for their lifestyle choices, whatever they may be. Um, if they're not already, um, I really think they ought to be teaching this stuff in schools. That's just mm-hmm. me. But... Yep. <laughs> we would agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so Renee and I took turns reading to one another before bed and on road trips and vacations and basically anytime we got the chance. And reading books on non-monogamy together sparked some very interesting and engaging conversations between us. And these conversations helped us grow both as individuals and as a couple. It also helped us better engage when meeting new couples, since it made us aware of some of the possible outcomes that we should be prepared for. I would very much recommend uh, that anybody take the time to talk about the various scenarios and what-ifs in advance. And while you'll never be able to prepare for every possible scenario that gets thrown your way, it definitely helps to be prepared. And a lot of times it's way easier to negotiate and resolve any issues in advance rather than, say, mid-orgy. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to have a fight in the orgy pit. Nope. <laughs> Wait, did, did, I hope that didn't happen to you. No, not at all. Not <laughs> at all. We, we read the books. Uh, we had the discussions. We were prepared for uh, a lot of scenarios. And, and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does happen every once in a while, I mean, to people, but it's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True enough. So um, I did want to talk a little bit about being out, about being open. It was around this time that some events formed our opinions about being out. That is being honest, transparent, and open about being open. Which, by the way, I've recently started using the acronym HOT, H-O-T, with a partner of mine, as in keeping it hot, to describe being honest, transparent, and open after hearing the French fry example in a previous episode of your podcast. And yes, we know the order of the words is a little jumbled up, but it was too good an acronym not to use. And plus, saying the words honest, transparent, and open over and over in a conversation was taking just way too long. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. That's very creative. (laughs) Yeah, so we're keeping it hot. Um, So up until this point, uh, Renee and I had been relatively transparent about being open. It's not like we were shouting it from the rooftops, but we had told a few friends and family members, and most people were not very surprised, since we were already known in our friend group as being quite sexually forward and rather non-traditional. When you tell people... Sorry, go ahead. I'm going to interrupt you for one second. About what age were you at this point? Was this a few years into it? So, yeah, I would say this is probably about 
three or four years in. Okay. So like you're in your mid twenties. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so when, when you do tell people about your adventures into non-monogamy, it's often surprising who will be excited and supportive and who will be absolutely terrified and concerned for your relationship. And spoiler alert, it's not always who you think it will be. Oftentimes, the most alternative people we knew would balk at the idea, while some of the more prudish people would be extremely interested and supportive. And we found this fascinating. Yeah. It's crazy. It's true, though. Yep. <laughs> so we did choose to tell, um, excuse me, when we did choose to tell somebody, uh, we tried to be responsible about the information we provided to those people. But it can be difficult to portray the complete concept of open relationships, along with our particular nuances, in a quick, casual conversation, especially since most people have only ever known the monogamous model that is so very deeply ingrained in our society. And people often don't know there are other choices than monogamy, and not everybody is ready to, quote, take the red pill. Uh, So because of this, uh, I would advise that anybody listening consider being very careful with choosing who you tell, because you don't necessarily know how they will interpret what you're telling them or who they, in turn, will tell. For example, Renee and I were out at a New Year's Eve house party with a bunch of friends, not just normal friends, uh, sorry, uh, with a bunch of friends, just normal friends, (laughs) not sexy friends. Okay. And at one point in the evening, when she went to the bathroom, quite unfortunately, she was cornered by a friend of a friend who tried to force himself on her. And when she pushed him away, she said he seemed really confused, saying, what, I thought you guys were swingers. Isn't this what you do? And so it seems he had heard secondhand about our adventures and completely misunderstood that open does not mean easy, nor does it negate the requirement for consent. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry that happened. <laughs> Thank yeah. You. yeah. You have to be, yeah, you have to be careful. It was tough. And so after that incident, uh, it became clear that we wanted to become a bit more selective about who we chose to share our adventures with. Uh, so coincidentally, around that time, a bunch of life stuff was happening. And although we did choose to maintain the relationships with a few select people, we decided to take a break from being open just so we could concentrate on this life stuff. And we used this opportunity to undo some of the past mistakes, making sure to tell everybody we had previously come out to that we were taking an indefinite break and we weren't sure if or when we would resume our sexy adventures. After time, it became common knowledge amongst our friend group and we effectively changed our narrative. So I think it's important to understand the risks about being out to others, but also when and who it's appropriate to be out to. For example, if you wouldn't normally talk with your boss or your colleagues about your sexuality, why would you bother mentioning your practices in non-monogamy? And I get it. It's exciting to talk about, and talking about it does help to normalize it, which is great. But just be aware there are times when it might help you, and also times when it might hurt you. As they say in The Ethical Slut, once you tell somebody, you can't untell them. Yeah, yeah and I think the uh, uh, maybe a an important designation here is if this is a 
more of a swinging dynamic, right, where it was just sexual adventures, I think there's a lot less reason to share that. But let's say you've got three long-term partners that are going to be around in your life. I think at that point, right, one could easily argue that you don't want to force somebody to come to a family Christmas and be like, oh, this is just my, my buddy, you know, I think. I do agree. Yeah, it's I mean, all within the context. Economy, right? There, there's right. always going to be situations where it is, um, yeah, preferable to be open and, and out about being open. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, there's times when it's just not appropriate. Yeah, I think or, it's yeah, as well. All, all about context, so. Yeah. Completely agree. So after all that life stuff settled down a little bit, we decided to ease back into being open. Even during our break from being open, we had maintained the relationships with a few important couples that had been part of our open life since its inception. And sex wasn't always involved with them. But we so very much enjoyed spending time together that even if sex didn't happen, we still had a great time. The cocktails and board games and wine and cheese get-togethers were always fabulous, and hot group sex was just a bonus. However, some of the regular couples in our lives had become very busy with various life-related stuff of their own, mostly small humans. And, <laughs> yeah, you, so, reach that, you reach that age, right? That that's right, yeah. Had started having kids. <laughs> So we found ourselves with availability in our lives to meet some new people and try some new things. So we started dating again. And armed with several years of experience, we managed to quickly meet some really nice couples, some of which I'm still in communication with. Lots happened when we chose to open up again, including our first separate room play, becoming fluid bonded with other partners, some exciting same-sex play, some threesomes, both FMM and FFM, some DP, some DB, some fisting, and after having had a number of discussions on the matter, eventually deciding to try solo dating. And up until this point, we had only ever dated as a couple, though we had been talking about solo dating for a while. And as we grew together, in non-monogamy, it became evident that as partners, we weren't always attracted to the same qualities in other people. Dating as a couple can be very challenging. It didn't seem to matter who was, quote, driving the online experience, whether her, me, or both of us. It was often difficult to find a suitable match. Keep in, in mind that we probably had ridiculously high standards based on some of the amazing people we already had in our lives. Uh, another possible reason might have been because Renee and I were very close in age, and it appeared that there was a sea of what we felt were unevenly matched couples, oftentimes a much older man with a much younger woman. And while there's nothing wrong with that, I think it often felt like Renee was being asked to take one for the team, which I don't ever recommend and which we refuse to do. So as difficult as it already was to find a four-way connection in the best of circumstances, Add in a disparity in what a couple finds to be attractive qualities, and it can despairingly feel like you're looking for a needle in a haystack. We felt that solo dating could be a potential method to work around this challenge. Initially, we had hoped that we could explore solo dating with one half of one of the couples that we already knew and trusted. Unfortunately, though, due to various life events happening with both, both us and others, we just couldn't get that to happen. 
Eventually, though, we decided to go ahead on our own and meet new people individually. So we sat down and lovingly made what we called our open relationship dating etiquette. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was uh, a shared online document that we both constructed together. Uh, we didn't want to call it a list of rules, so it was more a list of guidelines that we would endeavor to follow to keep us safe as individuals and also to make sure we protected and maintained what we considered at the time to be our primary relationship, her and I. It was important to both of us that we built and maintained the list together. And I say maintained because we knew that the list would need to be fluid and would likely change over time, just as our preferences in non-monogamy had changed in previous years. So with the list prepared and feeling that we had adequately discussed the topic, we ventured out into the world of individual online dating. And remember, we had only ever been together, uh, just her and I, since high school. So we had never been a part of the dating world as individual adults. Of course, we had some helpful experience from dating as a couple, but largely this was a new experience for us. Uh, I distinctly remember it being almost uh, lonely, actually, while engaging in chats and, and later being on dates. When there are only two people involved instead of four, you have a lot more gaps in conversation to fill. And in fact, with only two people, there are fewer gaps to fill overall. <laughs> nice and one. Yeah. Add in a rim shot for me there, please. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll add it in. <laughs> um, so real quick, so you had met, or you started dating when you were 16, so prior to that, neither one of you had really had many other experiences. Very few. We were our first uh, sexually uh, with PIV sex. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, and, and a lot of hand-holding and kissing before that, basically. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so like you said, yeah, you didn't have any experience as adults in the dating world, so right. um, yeah, it must have been a little bit daunting, but also exciting. Yes, yes, it definitely was. Um, and so uh, I mentioned a little while back that we had become fluid bonded with yeah. some of our partners. And I know you guys always strive to ask your guests about their safe sex, sex practices. Yeah. And uh, so I thought it might be a good time to talk a little bit more about safe sex and how we approach that. Uh, Please, so, yeah, that's great. So when Renee and I met and started having sex, we used condoms for the first few times. She was very close with her mother as a teenager, and she decided to tell her mother that she and I were having sex. So her mother was quite personally religious, but also very liberal and never forced her beliefs on others. So she said, while I could much prefer that you stop having sex until after marriage, I realize that you're likely not going to want to do that. I think we should go and get you some birth control. And I always really liked Renee's mom, and I credit her for realizing that asking two horny teenagers to, quote, put the rabbit back in the hat was not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Funny side story. Um, after Renee told her mother that her and I were having sex, she insisted that I tell my mother. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my mother is great. Uh, I really appreciate that she raised uh, my siblings and I to to make our own decisions. She always made sure that we had all the education and information in order to make informed choices, but ultimately the choice about sex, drugs, religion, politics, and anything else, they were left up to us to decide when we were old, obviously. 
And uh, so my mother and I have always had a very close relationship. But when Renee insisted that I tell her uh, that I had, I had started having sex, uh, my mom was a little taken aback. And she kind of said, okay, so uh, that's great. Uh, why the heck are you telling me this? Uh, do you need condoms or something? Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, I was a very curious kid. And, and we had had the talk about sex when I was only four or five. So it's not unlike she didn't want to talk about sex in general, but perhaps knowing the specifics was uh, TMI. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> so getting back to Renee's birth control, um, the popular method at the time was Depo-Provera, a needle that was administered approximately every three months. She was on Depo for about the first five years of our relationship. And that's really the maximum term they recommend for that drug. And around the time a bunch of not-so-great information surfaced on the use of that drug and some of its side effects. Mm -hmm. So she got off Depo and tried a few other forms of birth control, but all of them seemed to wreak havoc with her hormones. So she decided what was right for her and best for her was to go without. So we used condoms together occasionally, but usually just pulled out. And uh, not to brag, but I'm pretty good at controlling that sort of thing. <laughs> I've done a lot of PC muscle exercises, and I would urge your readers to check out a book called The Multi-Orgasmic Man. It's a fun read as a couple or individual, and it's fascinating to be able to separate orgasm from ejaculation as a male and have multiple orgasms. This has obvious benefits in many bedroom situations. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. I've heard of that book, but we haven't read it, so we'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's a good read. So returning to the safe sex discussion, um, when Renee and I engaged in sex with others, we always used condoms. We did not use oral barriers, mostly because initially we were not aware of them, but even later, when we did become aware of them, we did the research and found that the level of risk of transmission when not using oral barriers was low enough that it was a risk we were comfortable taking. To date, uh, nobody has actually asked me to use oral barriers. Um, I totally would if that's what they felt comfortable with, but have not had that request. Uh, with some very close partners, as I mentioned, uh, we started playing around with some genital-on-genital -genital contact and eventually, with two other couples, we decided that we would become fluid bonded. This was a very open and ongoing discussion that we had with both couples about the risks involved. And it turned out at the time that the other couples were only seeing us, and they were okay with the fact that we were seeing other couples. Since Renee wasn't on birth control, we would play without protection and then put a condom on if there was going to be a PIV finish. Otherwise, we found alternate um, creative ways to finish. <laughs> I won't go into details, but I will mention the joke about the ex-porn star who gets a job at the full-service gas station and partway through filling the tank, pulls it out and sprays all of the car. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That should be a visual. <laughs> That's a great one. So to... Uh, to wrap up the safe sex discussion, see what I did there? We, yes. we got you. Yeah, I thought we were leaving the bad jokes. <laughs> to you. <laughs> to me, yeah. But that's okay. I'll share. I'll share. So, uh, anyway, I, I just wanted to mention that uh, we did routinely go for STI testing at, uh, at the clinic. There's a great local community clinic that provides free testing, and we both went regularly to ensure that we were keeping our partners and ourselves safe. Uh, by the way, 
if, if you or your listeners are not comfortable with having this conversation with your doctor, I uh, highly suggest you go to a walk-in clinic or use the services promoted on your show. Uh, doctors aren't exactly known for their bedside manner, and through a few partners I've had, I've heard some pretty horrible stories about very judgmental doctors, which is not really what you want when you're going to get tested for SDIs. Um, you probably prefer that the doctor hold their judgment. Um, it, it really doesn't need to be any more difficult than it already is for people to go and get tested. Very much agree. Yeah. And, and obviously... I mean, the ideal situation is that you can be open with your doctor about it, but it's not always possible. So, fair point. Unfortunately not. <laughs> yeah. We're happy that at least there's a few other options out there. Yeah, me too. I have yet to uh, to try your services, um, but I have a routine checkup coming up, and I think I'm going to give it a shot. So, I'll there let you know go. how it goes. Awesome. That would be amazing, yeah. So, um, Renee and I started solo dating, and uh, initially... It was pretty good. Admittedly, there were some challenges. For example, uh, although we tried to line up dates on the same night, it wasn't always possible, and it was tough to be sitting at home doing nothing while your partner is out having a good time. Also, it's tough to be excited for your partner when they're coming home at 2 a.m. from a date, and all they want to do is talk about it, and all you want to do is keep sleeping. We had some... uh, We had some pretty good experiences with establishing some new relationships. Most of them were fairly casual, though. And then things got more serious for both of us. For me, I met Anne. Anne and I got along very well, even during our first few chat messages. We probably talked for about a week before we actually met, and we would send each other these walls of text back and forth about everything. There was a lot of new relationship energy or NRE present there. And when we went on our first date, it happened to be one of those nights when Renee's plans had fallen through. So Renee actually ended up joining Anne and I at one point in the evening. And uh, in fact, Anne's first kiss was with Renee, not with me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anne was relatively new to the idea of poly having recently left an eight-year monogamous relationship that unfortunately had ended quite badly with some cheating. And Anne was very excited about the potential idea of forming a relationship with both Renee and I. Uh, Renee was into the idea, but being very sweet and supportive, um, she suggested that I initially pursue this relationship on my own. After all, we were trying to solo date, and she didn't want to interfere with the initial development of the relationship between Anne and I. Uh, Around the same time, Renee also met a partner with a very similar backstory in that uh, he was new to Polly and recently out of a long-term marriage that had unfortunately also ended quite badly. So feelings developed rather quickly for our respective new partners, and it wasn't long before we were using our shared calendar to schedule overnight dates at our partner's houses and taking turns having overnight dates in our own home. It was around this time that we had a discussion about the hierarchy of our own relationship. After 18 years, we knew how we felt about each other and using the labels primary to refer to ourselves and secondary to refer to these new partners that we both loved and cared for very much, it felt demeaning in a way 
So we conceptually abolished our hierarchy, which in combination with both, both of us being very supportive and wanting to give each other the opportunities to explore these new relationships may have led to us spending less and less time together as a couple, which was another challenge we faced. When you're out on fun dates at cocktail bars and concerts with new people, it's tough to get excited about coming back to your nesting partner and doing laundry and talking about finances. <laughs> to combat this, we made a point of scheduling date nights for ourselves where we would do fun things together. And though we tried to slow down the pace of our calendar, I think there was a lot of room for improvement in our time management. I also think we didn't spend enough time together and some of the simple things fell by the wayside, like letting each other know just how much we meant to one another each and every day. Mm -hmm. I think we were on our way to correcting our mistakes, but we never got that chance. Um, one day I came home from work and uh, Renee said that she needed some time and space to figure some things out in her life and that she was going to go stay with her brother who lived across the country. I was really confused um, about where this was coming from. I mean, we had just been making plans to go and see family and friends that weekend. Uh, I didn't understand what was happening and any attempts to engage in conversation were just repeatedly shut down with her saying, I just need you to give me some time and space. And she just kept repeating that. I could tell that she was upset. And so I suggested that rather than having her go stay with family, that uh, if she wanted to, she could stay in our home where she was comfortable and that I would go and stay with my mother for as long as she needed me to. Uh, I wanted just so badly to be accommodating to help her and to give her what she needed that I didn't really say much else. I didn't put up much of a fight. I just packed a bag and, and left. And I think perhaps my desire to abide by her wishes may have been misconstrued as disinterest. And, uh, and I regret that dearly. So um, we kissed briefly at the door as I tried poorly <laughs> to hold back tears. And uh, I left with my suitcase. And that was the last time we ever spoke. Um, so I stayed with my mother for a few very confused and sad days until eventually I received a text message from her brother advising that I could return to our family home if I so choose. And uh, when I, I did return, things were things were very much as I as they had been. And uh, her suitcase and a few personal belongings were gone. Uh, I don't know for sure, but if I had to guess. Um, she probably left shortly after I had. And during this time, um, I had cut off all communication with all partners, friends, and most of my family. I was dedicated to focusing on my relationship with her. I was trying to be very respectful of her wishes, and I didn't know what I could say to other people, and I wanted to honor her request for space. Um, but I also found it very difficult to hold back communication for this person who 
I love so dearly and, and had for so long. So rather than messaging her directly, I wrote to her in a shared online document that she could choose to read you know, if and when she was ready. I was doing kind of everything I could uh, during that time to make sure that when she was ready to talk, I would be the best version of me and be ready to give her whatever it was she needed. But that never happened. And six days after we parted, I was at work when I got a text message from her brother telling me that she did not wish to continue our relationship. I was uh, already very concerned and confused about what was going on. But uh, getting this message in this way, it was absolutely devastating. I was reeling, spiraling, not really sure which way was up. Uh, I did manage to send an email out to advise my colleagues that I would be taking some time off from work. And then I made my way home. Which, by the way, if you're in this kind of scenario, don't take the subway. Uh, spring for an Uber, taxi, or call a friend. Uh, the following weeks and months uh, were spent liaising with her brother via email to coordinate me packing up her belongings, dealing with banks, lawyers, and dismantling the life we had together. This process was very difficult. And unfortunately, that difficulty was compounded by a number of other factors, including the fact that one month after she left, our home was flooded and I had to vacate it and then start rebuilding it. Uh, to this day, I have not seen or heard from her, nor have most of her partners, friends, and people who considered her family. As far as I know, she's cut off all communication with all but one or two people. Uh, everybody else has been redirected to her brother. And though he's a really nice guy, uh, nobody seems to be very satisfied with the replies they're receiving from him. Um, I'm not on any kind of social media. Renee and I were together before the advent of that kind of technology. And I always sort of lived vicariously through her accounts. Um, though I have heard from a few mutual friends who have seen a few posts and status updates that uh, she moved across the country to live with her brother for a while and has since got a new job and a new home. I don't know much else, but um, wherever she is and whatever she's doing, I truly hope she's healthy and happy. So uh, in the months that followed, I'm sorry to say that uh, things got worse before they got better. Not knowing why any of this happened really played with my mind and led to some very, very dark times. Uh, to paraphrase a philosopher called Frederick Nietzsche, one who has a how can bear any why. And I was left without a how. Luckily though, um, a few events in my life provided a pivot point and eventually I was able to grab hold of something tangible and slowly I've been making a steady recovery ever since. Uh, one of these things was that I heard that one of her partners and her 
had bonded over having been unhappy for a long time. And while that was very difficult for me to hear, it was the first and, to date, the only reason I've heard for her sudden and unexpected departure. Also around this time, uh, my father unfortunately had a heart attack. And when my family rallied together in support for him, it kind of put my problems in perspective. And it made me realize that not being around would be very damaging to others in my life. So during the time of the breakup, um, I also sought therapy to try and make sense of what had happened and what was going on. And this also has been instrumental in my recovery. And by the way, I recommend everybody get a good therapist or counselor. Therapy is not just for people who are suicidal or victims. Therapy is beneficial to everyone. I think it should be mandatory. After all, we, we take care of our bodies by going for regular checkups with the doctors, but uh, we seem to neglect our minds for some reason. Um, also, I will say when searching for a therapist, find somebody that agrees with your ideals or when searching for any professional for that matter, doctors, lawyers, therapists, um, I would say endeavoring to engage with people that support your way of life and your ideologies um, or people who share your values uh, can be very helpful. For example, I saw a couple of different therapists at first, and while one was aware of open relationships, I ended up choosing the one who actually engaged in open relationships, and it's been immensely beneficial to be able to draw upon her experience. Uh, these sessions, which I'm still having, by the way, <laughs> have been very valuable in helping me to see that the behavior being exhibited by my ex-partner was very unusual, and given the way that things happened, was unlikely to be as much my fault as I was making it out to be. It also helped me to realize that closing off all my other relationships like I did was a mistake, and it was likely quite damaging to go from having many relationships to none at all. And that's really the beauty about having multiple relationships is that when there's trouble in one, you have support from others. So I was encouraged to build a support network, which I did with some close partners, although it became evident that a better network is one with more people in it. So I added some family and a few close friends. And during this time, I decided to come out about having been in an open relationship to these family and close friends um, that were there supporting me. Uh, I kind of felt as if I was, was lying to them by omitting certain details and thus not giving them the whole story. But opening up like this was tough because many of them were hearing about our open relationship for the first time and incorrectly assumed that we were no longer, longer together because we had been open, when in fact, the breakup made even less sense when you consider the amount of communication and care that is required to sustain an open relationship for that many years. Um, also, uh, I had to be selective about who I chose to be in that support network since I found it challenging dealing with people who lend their support and commiserate by bashing the ex. A lot of people say things like, 
oh, good riddance, that bitch is out of your life, huh? Um, which, which didn't and still doesn't reflect how I feel at all. Um, this is somebody that I, I still love and care for very much. Um, so the therapy has been helpful, though I still don't really know what happened. Um, towards the end of that relationship, things got a little blurry. A lot was happening very fast. Some of the items on the open relationship dating etiquette list were broken. And because I was trying so hard to be cool with everything and, and be supportive, I think I kept the fact that I was feeling hurt and lonely and, and missing her. I kept that to myself. I wasn't nearly as in touch with my feelings as I could have been or, or as I even am now. And looking back, I also wasn't as good as I thought with communication. I had a very logic-driven mind, and, and often I would talk a subject to death by asking questions in order to better understand. And I was attempting to empathize, um, but really all I should have been doing is listening. Um, so the therapy continues to be helpful today in dealing with my newfound feelings of anxiety and abandonment and a whole host of other feelings that are very new and have been very challenging to come to grips with. I'm still very much a, a work in progress, <laughs> as are we all, but it's helped me to see that maybe she had things in her life that I can't be held accountable for. Um, this event has given me great empathy towards other people. You never know what other people are going through in their lives, so I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And I'm trying to see more positives in life. And if I'm going to look at a positive aspect of this event, it's that this terrible thing was a catalyst for a series of very positive changes within me and my life. So eventually, after the breakup, I did reconnect with Anne, who has been very supportive. And I'm very grateful that she chooses to continue to be a part of my life. She and also a few of the other people my ex-partner and I were seeing, uh, we have since decided as individuals to reconnect physically. Uh, but comparatively, for over the last year, my life and the relationships in it have been very different. I've been taking this time to focus inwards I'm slowly finding myself as an individual adult. Uh, I've been consuming more self-help books and podcasts than I ever thought I would. And uh, directly after the breakup, not knowing why it happened, uh, I was questioning everything, looking for a cause and, and a solution, even questioning things that didn't need to be questioned at all, like the type of clothes that I wore and things like that. And, and yes, even questioning my relationship style choices and whether or not I wanted to continue with being open. Uh, ultimately, though, I did come to the conclusion that I had ended up where I was and in that style of relationship because it suited me. And I think I want to try to continue with some version of that. After over a year... I've finally decided to get back onto the dating apps. I'm identifying my preferred relationship style as solo poly leaning, but that's just the closest label I've found 
and I'm still sort of figuring it all out. I haven't been on any dates yet and have had uh, mixed results with chatting, but admittedly, I haven't had much time to dedicate to dating since I have a pretty busy personal life and other areas of my life that I'm focused on right now. So that's the end of the sadness. <laughs> and if you're asking, uh, why are we talking about all this breakup stuff? We tune into this podcast to hear about sexy swinging adventures. Um, well, I think it's important to talk about all aspects of relationships and to realize that though we often get distracted by the potential of sex, these adventures uh, that we're going on involve other real people and the decisions we make have an impact on other lives. So if hearing this story helps just one person be more empathetical or construct themselves more ethically, then I have accomplished what I've set out to achieve by sharing this story with you. Well, we, we appreciate it. And I think something that, that you touched on uh, towards the end there, which was this has helped you be more empathetic and that you never know what's going on with other people. And I think, I think that can't be overstated enough that this, this was a person that you had known more than half of your life and half of their life. And not only that you had known them, but that you were together and, and communicating at a level higher than most people probably were uh, through a relationship you know, in, in theory, especially if you were navigating an open relationship for 13 of those years, approximately, right? So, and that if, if you were able to be surprised by what was happening with somebody else, that we really need to be more, uh, more lenient with people that, that we don't know what's going on and that we just need to be more empathetic, like you said. So thank, thank you for sharing and we appreciate it greatly, and I'm sure many others do as well. Yeah. No, and exactly what Finn said. I'm so appreciative that you were willing to come on and share your story. And um, I honestly just want to give you a big hug right now because it's just it <laughs> so it's just you can tell that that was a very hard story for you to tell. And yet you still wanted to be, push yourself to do that so that you could hopefully help some other people. And, um, that's why we do this podcast is to hopefully have people relate and, you know, gain something from every story out there. So thank you so much for um, being vulnerable and sharing that with everyone. Well, thank you for creating a platform where I could come and potentially help others with this information. And, uh, so, uh, I think after that, um, we could all use a bit of a laugh. Um, so <laughs> I know you guys like to ask about bloopers. And, oh, yay. Um, you yes, often, we do. You often ask for a funny one and an awkward one. So I have one of each, if you would like. Uh, <laughs> I think we could accommodate. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be wonderful. <laughs> okay, uh, great. Uh, any preference about which one you want first? No surprises. I'll see if I can guess which one's which. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So uh, let me start with uh, going back to the beginning when we were ordering all of these sex toys. Uh, So we ordered them online uh, from a a website and they were delivered. And at the time we were living in an apartment building that had a 24 hour concierge 
a man who stood at the front desk to accept packages and things of that nature. And so I got a notice that a package was in and great. We were all excited because we were ex expecting this order. And we went down to the front desk to pick up this box of, of sex toys and the concierge lifted the box up and it was in tatters and there were giant dildos hanging out every which side of this box <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of the lobby surrounded by all my neighbors. Um, so that was pretty embarrassing. And then on top of that, it said on the box, package one of two. <laughs> I had to ask, is this it? We're expecting another one. And uh, he's like, I'll let you know when the next one comes in. I, I can understand you're probably pretty anxious to get it. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. Um, That's hilarious. And then one other little uh, story that I will share is about a time that we went out on a date with this other couple and we went to a local restaurant which by the way we did a lot and was was great to kind of mess with the servers who over time I'm sure were just wondering what the heck is going on with these people because we would you know sit on different sides of the table and hold hands with people that they weren't expecting and things of that nature so that was always fun but um, this particular night we were meeting a couple that we had never met before, we'd been chatting briefly online, and this was relatively early on. And um, so we made our way down to the, to the restaurant, and we're sitting at the bar having a drink, waiting for them. And they messaged to say uh, they were very sorry, but they were going to be a little bit late. They had trouble securing a babysitter, and traffic was bad. And, you know, hey, fine, whatever. It's, it's a Friday night where they're having a good time. No problem at all. So eventually, about two hours later, the, uh, the female half of the couple showed up. And we're kind of like, oh, okay, uh, nice to meet you. Um, where's your partner? And she said, well, he's out parking the car, which apparently took quite a while because he, for the next hour, he wasn't around. Um, so eventually he showed up. And um, by that time, I think that the female half of the couple knew that things weren't really going that great. And she started down in a whole bunch of tequila, um, always a good thing to do in an emergency. <laughs> um, and uh, so we were getting the check. And up until this point, the male half hadn't said anything and until we got the check. And then he said, so are we going to fuck now? And that was the first thing he said to us. <laughs> that's, that's usually my opening line. <laughs> but I, I delivered at the start of the date. <laughs> Yeah, so that was a polite no thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, you don't open with that line, especially That was a closer. Oh I well it's true. That's but it's opener and a closer. He hadn't said anything else. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> but memories, right? Ah, the memories. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and you can be assured that it won't be the last awkward thing that happens. Yeah. Oh, probably not. <laughs> but it's all good fun. We take it in stride. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, again, thank you for everything. Is there any anything final that you want to share? I mean, it it seems like we left it at a pretty good place. And I think, you know, we want to be respectful of 
of the privacy of everybody, and we know you kind of curated the story in such a way that you were comfortable telling and that was safe for everybody. So we want to respect that. But if you have anything else that you want to share, please let us let us know, and we'll make sure. Yeah, I do have a few closing remarks, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Um, I, real quick before you do that, I did want to just thank you for bringing up the um, and talking so much about seeing a therapist because that's something that we preach all the time too. We firmly believe that it's so important, and so I just wanted to thank you because that's it. It can make such a difference, and it makes sense. You know, why don't we take more care of our minds too uh, when we go to doctors for other, you know, other medical things? So, um, thank you for bringing that up. So. Now go ahead. <laughs> You're very welcome, and I'm right there with you. Um, anything we can do to uh, to normalize and, and, and abolish the stigma around mental health and therapy is, yeah. is beneficial for everyone. Right. Well, and the, and the fact that, you know, while a breakup of your magnitude may not be that common, breakups in general are very common, and yes. that that is part of life, and it's not easy um, to go through at all, but it's also something that a lot of people can relate to. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, anyway. So in closing, um, I want to say a few brief things, if that's okay. Um, firstly, I will say that uh, open relationships, while very rewarding and gratifying, will test and try your relationship and or relationships, including your relationship with yourself. If there are cracks in the foundation, they will become magnified and possibly multiplied. So for anyone who's considering getting into an open relationship or opening up their relationship, ensure you have a solid foundation upon which to build your open relationship. The next thing that I will mention is uh, Take the time and make the effort to cultivate great communication and not just good communication. Take the time to know how your partner or various partners think and or interpret things and make your best effort to tailor your style of communication with them to ensure you have a solid connection upon which to transmit your communications. Next, I would advise that anybody considering this leverage any and all available resources and opportunities to learn and to grow. And again, thank you to you guys for providing one of those resources and, and linking to many others. Mm -hmm. uh, and the last thing that I will mention is that um, as you go about your lives, your actions can have a profound and long-lasting impact on others. So please, live your life with care and with compassion. Thank you. Yeah, all, all very good points. So yeah. Thank you. No, and the, yeah, it's, we all need to, if everyone could live with a lot more care and compassion in their lives, that would, um, the world would be even better. So it's a very wonderful place to end, I think. Great. Well, thanks again for having me, guys. It was been a pleasure to, uh, to meet you and, and talk with you. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, and uh, the likewise. And, you know, I hope we we get the chance to talk again at some point and get an update in another year or two and, and be able to see where you're at with everything. And and I think everybody would be interested to hear that. So. Yeah. I would yeah. love that. Thank you very much. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, until then, we will let you 
get back to your evening. It's getting late for for all of us involved here. <laughs> and uh, yes, we will we will talk soon. Have a wonderful night. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. you too. Thank you so much. <laughs> and we're back. We are. Thank you. Don't laugh at me. I will laugh at you. I'm <laughs> laughing. If you would laugh, we would be laughing together. That's different. Anyway, That's ahead. laughing with you. Yes. We wanted to say again thank you to Robert for sharing a difficult story, and we appreciate it. And we're, yeah, we're we're hopeful that it helps. Like he said, that if it helps anybody, then you know he's he's really happy he was able to do that. It so it's worth it. Yeah. Uh, next week we have our normal Wednesday episode. It's going to be with Amanda and MC. And they are a queer couple who dis- who reached out to us a few, uh, like a month or two ago and said, hey, how about you get some more diversity? And we were like, hey, yeah, how about we do it? And so... We need you to come on the sto- show in order to do that. <laughs> so they will be sharing their story next week, and we're super excited for that. In the meantime... Um, you probably should go get some condoms from One Condom. Yes. That's the one resource we wanted to mention is One Condoms. They have... Or My One Condom. I'll say they have custom fit condoms. They have over 60 sizes. You can get... Ten- they actually have exactly 60 sizes. Oh my gosh. Okay. Anyway. I guess 61 if you count their standard. Go check them out on our resources page. You can get a discount as well. So check that out. And we will see y'all next week. Y'all? We'll see y'all. I think I might be divorced by next week. Bye, everyone.